Hello, everyone. Just wanted to let you all know that if you've come for today's Safety and Health webcast sponsored by Cordy, that you're in the right place. We'll be starting in approximately one minute. Thank you. Hi everyone and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, Quality Up, Injuries Down, Using Failure Modes and Effect Analysis for a Safer Work Environment, sponsored by Cority. My name is Kevin Drulli. I'm an Associate Editor with Safety and Health Magazine and I will be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. In a few minutes we'll start the presentation, but first I want to go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we will conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for Submit Question. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speaker. Please note as well that our speaker has made documents available in the resources widget. For basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located on your screen. At the end of the webcast, you will be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey. I will let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash events. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speaker today will be Kelly Kaczynski, Quality and Document Control Product Marketing Manager at Quarity. Kelly brings 20 years of product management and marketing experience with a focus on CPG, chemicals, life sciences, and technology. She earned her MBA from LaSalle University and also holds a Six Sigma Greenbelt certification. Again, we thank all of you for tuning into this presentation. Kelly, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, I just want to start off by sharing a, a recent news story that I found very interesting and apropos to today's discussion. Um, Philadelphia Energy Solution has a 150-year-old refinery in Philadelphia, and it employs a little over 1,100 employees and processes approximately 335,000 barrels of crude oil a day, and it equates to about an estimated 110 million barrels of refined product annually. It is one of the largest oil refining facilities in the U.S. Eastern Seaboard. They seem to have every precaution in place. I knew people that work there. <laughs> they have uh, hundreds of safety procedures, an on-site fire brigade, and regular inspections. However, on Friday, June 21st of this year, there was an explosion at the plant around 4 a.m. Five employees were injured and residents in the area were forced to shelter in place for hours until officials could determine that the air was safe enough to breathe. The tank that exploded contained a mixture of butane and propane and the alkylation unit at the oil refinery was completely destroyed, making production impossible. The company finally decided to permanently shut down the facility, and as a result, all the employees were laid off, and they would be done by the end of August. The facility was inundated with local firemen, federal investigators, Occupational and Health Board, and the U.S. Chemical Safety and Hazard Investigation Board, and it could take up to 18 months to get the results they need to find out what happened. The people impact in this situation is very substantial. Five people were injured, five employees were injured, 1,100 employees lost their jobs, and health risk to the local residents is still unknown. 
The local economy will also be impacted as Philadelphia Energy employees will no longer be spending money at the restaurants and retail locations in the area. And market prices will probably go up to the reduced supply from the East Coast refinery. And finally, the organization, they suffered from the closing of two facilities in the area, regulatory scrutiny, fines, and lawsuits. So when catastrophes happen, it hurts everybody, the community, the employees, and the company. So that's why it's so important to proactively manage operational risks. So whether you produce chemicals or pharmaceuticals, automobiles, food or beverage, any product that's out there, there are risks in every one of those processes, every product, and they need to be identified and controlled early on in the process. When we do this, we can reduce the costs associated with those kind of incidents. And that, that can include anything from workers' compensation, production delays, expedited shipping because of those delays, uh, rework or disposal costs, additional regulatory oversight and fines, product recalls, the dreaded product recalls, lawsuits, and the list goes on. But, you know, many in the industry are still wondering what controls can be put in place to protect these employees, the products, and the organization as a whole. Manufacturers are looking at best practices to manage the very processes that support anything from environmental, health, safety, and the quality to create an ecosystem of operational excellence across the enterprise and even with their supplier network. So companies have invested capital in their manufacturing equipment, their enterprise systems like their ERP or the MES systems, and even extended manufacturing operations in global locations or at contract manufacturers and packagers. Problem is that these systems and outside facilities operate independently. And then the data is siloed without being able to view trends or issues in any comprehensive way to make better business decisions. That's why many organizations are adding you know, enterprise, EHS, and quality software solutions to manage their shop floor processes. It, it also allows them to integrate with other IT systems or shop floor equipment or even external suppliers and those contract vendors we already talked about. So then you can collect all the relevant data needed to review any trends or anomalies with greater precision. So this helps organizations identify trends and issues earlier in the process and take a more proactive stance on issue resolution. So as you can see in this graphic, you'll see those inputs on the left. They're going to include things such as inspections, audits, incidents and nonconformances, supplier management, and corrective and preventative actions or CAPAs. And they're the very processes and workflows that support efficient operational activities. So when you automate these shop floor processes in one system and standardize the tracking and management of those processes, uh, that allows data to be collected and analyzed in reports to view the trends and determine if there's any elevated risks. The end result, if you move to the right, you can see it leads to revenue protection, compliance, operational excellence, brand protection, and customer retention. So although these kind of systems are standardizing the workflows, they're increasing efficiencies, and they're helping to identify and re reduce incidents and nonconformances, there's always room for improvement. Before I move to the next phase, I would like to take a poll of the audience. What is your organization's risk management project plan timeline? Do you currently have a risk management project in place? Are you planning one in the next six months, 18 months? 
How about over the next few years? Or are there any plans in place? Um, so I'm just going to give you about 20 seconds and select your options to see what the results are. We have a nice large audience, so I think this would be a great opportunity to see what other people in the industry are, are looking at risk management like. Okay, results are coming in. Well, I'll give you a few more seconds. There's a few more people putting in their responses. Okay, so we're going to move forward with our results. And oh, this is great news to see. <laughs> um, there are 60% of respondents uh, saying they already have a risk management project in place. Um, this is fantastic to hear because I know a lot of companies have talked about it but have not really, you know move forward, but having that process in place now really helps support those uh, unexpected costs, those unexpected risks. So it's really good to see that the majority of people out there are implementing risk management procedures. And let's see. Oh, and oh, this is surprising. 20% um, have no plans in place. Um, so maybe it's not that unusual. I mean, I think one of the things that can be confusing is how to get started. Um, and it can be really overwhelming and daunting, as you know, because if you're tracking every product and process, that is a lot of information and it's hard to manage. So we'll just move ahead to. So what we're seeing is that risk management is a really big focus for most companies. If you're looking at annual reports, and um, commentary from the CEOs, you're hearing the buzzword, risk management. They want to proactively, and when you look at um, the chart, well, first let me say, with you, you want to proactively identify and manage failures that can occur in a process or product being, being developed. But um, according to the Aberdeen research here on the screen, this is just one of, one of the research um, findings I I came across, and the top reason executives are focusing on risk is to reduce the impact of operational risk on financial goals. Otherwise known as don't waste EBITDA on issues that can't, can be avoided. And as I mentioned earlier, failures in manufacturing, that can result in high profile and expensive correction actions and resolutions. It's not easy recovering a brand reputation after a huge high profile incident, but it's less expensive to prevent it from happening in the first place. So by proactively identifying and monitoring those risks, companies can reduce the impact on the bottom line. So I'm gonna take you through this slide. And um, one of the best ways to manage risk is by using Failure Modes and Effects Analysis, or FMEA. There are some buzzwords out there. There's other risk um, techniques out there. Um, HACCP is one, Hazard Analysis and Critical Control Points. And I know that the food industry has always referred back to that because of FDA requirements. Um, but F FMEA is a, a bottom-up approach at identifying the process and the product risks. So there's less chance of missing those failures when you're starting from the bottom up. And it's also a technique where a cross-functional team defines, they identify, and they eliminate known or potential failures in a process or product. The team evaluates the causes and the effects of different component failures 
and determines how to eliminate or reduce the chance of failure. So one thing I do want to start to point out right away is I, I want to recommend having a small FMEA team so the process can remain focused and concise. Too much input can uh, overburden the process and cloud the real purpose of the project, defining the failures. And they can also, a smaller group can quickly agree to process flowcharts, which is really that first step in defining the, um, the process or product workflow process. So keep it small, keep it short and simple, and you'll have better results in the end. Um, you know, less, less cooks in the kitchen, as I like to say. So in this slide, you can see an example of information normally gathered in an FMEA. The first step is to identify the product or process. That's easy. Um, you want to evaluate something, and you want to be able to determine what those possible um, failure modes are. Um, so there could be, in this situation, um, and there can be more than one, most likely. There's going to be several um, potential failures. And you want to make sure that you include all those potential failures so you get a full view of the risk associated with the failure itself. Um, and this is a good time to review any previous incidents you had or nonconformances and even your CAPAs because this will help you get insight into your past problems, um, how they were corrected in the past, but they still could be going on in, in different parts of the enterprise. So you want to make sure that you, you do capture things that have happened and you're accounting for them in your current process and your current FMEA um, evaluation. And um, the third step is you want to identify any potential effects of the failure and you want to assign a severity rating to each effect. If you want to make sure you didn't miss any, again, go back to history, check back into your customer complaints or your incident reports for greater insights into problems in the past. Especially the customer complaints, they're going to tell you not so much the failure, but it's going to tell you the effect that took place as, um, as a result of that failure. And this is really helpful as you build out your FMEA report. So now you want to you need to score the severity of the potential effect. And some people wonder, is this um, this could be challenging? How do we do that? Um, and I have a rating scale at the bottom of the slide to give you an idea how scores can be selected. So it ranges from low on the left hand side, um, and that's in like the one or two point range. And that might be a slight flaw. And it might not even be noticed by the consumer, but um, it's, it's worth noting at that level. And then it, it climbs all the way up to the red extreme score on the right, which is in that eight to 10 point range. And this would indicate anything with a really high risk and very dangerous um, effect or situation could occur. So the FEM, FMEA team would be able to score these effects appropriately by health and safety standards, not by monetary value. So that's really important. You, you really want to consider it based on consumer use or um, even employee interaction. It has to be around safety and health and security rather than what is it going to cost us because then you'll go down the road of the pinto and we don't want to do that so now you need to estimate the probability of occurrence for each risk this involves identifying its causes um, and their probability so using that same like one to ten scoring mechanism the higher the number the greater the probability and then you want to determine how easy it is to detect the failures and monitor the controls. 
it's really critical to ensure that early detection is possible. Otherwise, the higher the score, the harder it is to detect, and you're gonna to have to find a way to improve that detection. Um, otherwise, you'll never be able to correct the situation before a, a catastrophe happens. Uh, once this information is complete, you wanna calculate a risk priority number, RPN, and that's done for each failure. So this is calculated by multiplying uh, the severity score, the probability score, and detection ratings. And this allows the risk management team to sort risks. So they can focus on the highest impact risks first. So I'm gonna give you an example. So let's say we're evaluating, we're an automobile manufacturer, and we're evaluating risk in brake pads. I identify the item, so we want to provide the correct level of friction between the brake pad and the rotor. And this is gonna be based on a specific car model, because every car, um, basically every car, every car model would have specific requirements for braking or other um, car parts. So you wanna have the right uh, brake pad for the right car weight and model. So in one particular scenario, the friction may result in a high-pitched noise, which is pretty annoying, um, but the brakes are still functioning. So the severity may only be a three because the customer is going to hear it. It's going to be annoying. They noticed it, but the brakes are still operating. So there's less of a, a chance that there could be uh, an accident or a fatality associated with that. And then you start uh, identifying the causes and controls in each of those um, areas across that um, failure. And you may turn it over to the design team for review, and they may replace the brake pads in the design documents and the bill of materials, and that would mean a management of change to correct the problem going forward. But they may not wanna issue a recall for the problem. It's not life-threatening. Um, if the customers come in and complain about it, they may, uh, replace the brake pads at no charge. Uh, but I don't believe in most cases when it's a low risk issue that they're gonna really raise a lot of concern. So this would, again, result in probably a corrective action to the design and a change management within the process. And training would have to be done to shop floor employees to reinforce that change. So when calculated, this RPN number could be just 30. Um, but if we look at the brake pads and they're out of spec and it results in poor stopping performance, the risk severity is much higher. Say, say we scored a 10 um, because this could cause accidents and fatalities. In this case, the RPN could be 280. That would make that risk a high priority and modification should be reviewed to eliminate the problem. So right away it goes to the top of the list, then it's sent off to the quality and design teams for reevaluation and um, they need to review and eliminate that problem. CAPAs uh, and change management would also correct the issue going forward but they would have to do a product recall um, so they could replace the brake pads on the car model, model having that issue. So they don't have to do it on all their cars, but it's only on the cars where this failure is occurring. And once those changes happen, that goes back in and you reevaluate your FMEA report. You reevaluate the risk score and potential safety risk to consumers. And that score, um, when you now have a new brake pad that fits the model, 
um, will lower, and so you won't have that severity on the score sheet anymore. But you know, others will replace it. It'll be resorted, and then other uh, high-risk um, failures would take precedence. So that's just one example of how far that goes. But think about it this way: this is just one tiny piece of a brake pad. It's not all the other scenarios behind it. And it's not all the components that make up a car, all the thousands of components, or it's not all the products that you sell and distribute to your end users. Um, so it's really a vast project to undertake, but the value of scoring and identifying those high risk areas is really helpful in protecting the business, but also protecting your end users. So I have talked to a number of people out in the industry, and um, a lot of small-sized businesses they they use the Excel spreadsheets to pour, perform you know FMEA or some risk management technique. Um, however, when you're looking at big companies or even mid-sized companies, it really becomes cumbersome because they when they use spreadsheets, it's like worksheets long. It gets really large and it's hard to work with. Even if you're running other reports behind it and feeding it back into your worksheets, the sheer, the, the sheer magnitude of data being collected and reviewed is overwhelming. So, um, you know, people are looking for different ways to manage this and, and, and streamline the process. Um, and one of the ways they're doing this is, is through software. I mean, uh, you, you don't perform your financial reports on a calculator anymore. You're using your ERP system. You're capturing your sales orders that way. You're managing your manufacturing process through your MES system. And that's why more people are starting to identify ways that they can do FMEA and other processes easier through technology. So when you think about it, I mean, uh, you want to have a system that first increases collaboration. If you have a spreadsheet, you have a static document. Um, it's really large, many megs uh, large, and it's hard to distribute and keep current. Um, when you have a system that you can dial into, the team has real-time access um, to the current failure scores, to the current um, events or um, uh, RPN scores. And so they have visibility into what the team has established so far. And then senior executives can also view that as well to get an overall picture of where the high risks are. Um, but you don't have to turn big reports in that they're not going to read. You can take a snapshot of what the current situation is. And it's really helpful to have something like that. And you wanna have something that's easy um, easy to use and you wanna have easy data collection. So when you're using, say, an Excel spreadsheet, it's a little more difficult because you're punching in codes and it's hard and you gotta freeze frames and everything like that. Um, and it it's hard to really figure out how the information is getting attached and reviewed and um, I guess analyzed as well. Um, so by using a software system, you're taking it and you're making it an electronic form in some ways. And those cells capture the information and um, you can create different ones. You can create out of the box ones. Uh, but you're capturing the information that's important to your company and you're feeding it back into a database. So the database is, is allowing you to capture all the information, um, keep it up to date, and you streamline the entire process of collecting that data. And then if you're looking for a system, you want to be able to have something that offers you metrics and dashboard reports. Because let's just face it, these numbers are immense. There's tons of information. 
it's hard to track if you're tracking it based on headquarters or global locations it's really hard to evaluate so you want to take you want to get a system that that takes all that data and offers you this this comprehensive like dashboard reporting system so it allows you to have an overview of the progress of of the project and then you can start to see trends is there more issues uh, more high risk in florida than our chicago production facility is germany encountering more problems um, with their risk you know so you can start to map out where those issues are occurring and you can start to drill down to see why they're occurring in those locations or even you can drill down into a product line well you know when i was in the chemical industry if uh, one of our highest selling products was having an issue we wanted to address that right away um, especially since you couldn't um, you couldn't treat those chemicals without changing the quality and the color of those chemicals so um, addressing things earlier in the process and getting that visibility and seeing those trends really helps you to pinpoint faster um, and a spreadsheet doesn't always allow you to do that so having some sort of metrics and dashboards really does help alleviate the pain of, of reading so many um, reports and you want to have access to the most current version I've seen spreadsheets out there and we've you know in my past we've shared spreadsheets and you're making decisions on something and it's outdated and so then you go you have to go back and find out who has the latest greatest version so having the having a system in place where the current version is available for review really helps people um, collaborate better helps them identify issues earlier and see where the highest risk um, items are in the process so they can stay on top of those things and you want to also provide be able to provide a comprehensive electronic audit trail a paper trail is really hard to do because sometimes things can go wrong they can get lost we get it um, but you want to be able to also connect that to any of your other systems say your ERP your EHS or your quality systems so you can create this closed-loop continuous improvement process so when an auditor is in your building and they want to know how you handled this risk and why you had to handle the risk differently you can go back and address how you identified the high risk how you investigated it issued a corrective action and then implemented a change management or MOC management of change and it really gives them the security knowing that this, um, the company's on top of their processes they're aware of their risks their people are getting assigned projects and they're following through and it's being dated um, and approvals are being recorded and the whole process is recorded so there's there's no question that the company's on top of their risk another thing is um, you want to be able to integrate I mean it's great to have uh, iTunes <laughs> but if it doesn't connect to anything else um, like my Bose sound system that's not going to help me um, so having integration with your FMEA integrate with EHS um, your quality systems your ERP you're going to start pulling that that uh, master data management you're going to start pulling processes together you're going to get one version of the truth and you're going to start to see better data come across your desk you're going to be able to make better business decisions um, and that's what really helps companies start to be more successful and reduce their costs is by by getting that data that's often siloed in those uh, disparate systems and I guess another thing to look out for is security I mean you do not want this information falling in the hands of anyone outside your organization 
you don't want to showcase your risks, your, um, uh, I guess, your scars and, and, and your problems, internal problems. Keep them out of the press. Um, you want to address those so that you have um, the reputation of uh, high quality and um, high performance. Um, but if you have a system, uh, you can have the admin user set up registered users who can only access that part of your system. They can view the private information, but it's only for approved personnel only. So instead of a file being on somebody's desk and anybody being able to review it or take it, um, you know, it, it really does protect you to have this system secure behind the um, behind the eyes of anyone outside of the team because you want to have those greater controls within your processes. So I guess in summary, I would probably advise, and it seems like everybody seems to be really on board with risk management. Uh, there was a lot of you um, at least starting the process, 60% uh, already involved in the process. So uh, a lot of this might be obvious to you. And for those who haven't even started yet, start thinking about how can I get started? How can I get my company to start thinking outside the box and start identifying those risks? You know what they are. <laughs> um, but if you document them and start to address them, that makes a bigger difference and it makes you the hero at work too. Um, so really securing your facility, your employee safety, and your product quality and safety really says a lot about the quality of company that you work for too. So um, I think it's a really good time for people to really start addressing those, those issues as they move forward um, in risk management. I think that was it. Yes. Um, All right. Do well, we excellent. have a question? Yeah. Yeah, no, great great job, Kelly. Thank you for your, your insights and expertise. Uh, we will start the Q&A in a moment here, but just want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey that we're asking you to complete. The survey should be appearing on your screen now. Uh, your input is important because it will help us improve future webcasts. If you don't see the evaluation survey on your screen, please turn off your pop-up blocker. You may also access the survey by clicking the survey button near the lower right part of your screen. Um, and then another part of the screen we want to remind you of the lower left part and uh, we get some questions coming in but if you'd like to submit one be reminded that there's that text box on the bottom lower left hand corner. You can just uh, type one in and, and click the button for a submit question. So with that now we will get to your questions. First one, uh, is FMEA used in only certain industries? Oh, that's a great question. Thank you, Kevin. Um, actually, FMEA is is one of the preferred solutions across multiple industries. I know food and beverage uh, relies heavily on HACCP, as I had mentioned earlier, um, but FMEA works across all industries. And because of the level of complexity and detail it gets, can get into, I think it, it is a great um, risk management tool um, for companies to use because of the comprehensive um, data it can collect. All right, next question, and uh, we, we will get to that, but also want to remind everyone of the, the resources that are going to be there for you in that resources widget that we mentioned uh, at the top of the, the program today, too. So next question now. Can suppliers be part of the FMEA process? Absolutely. Um, suppliers are really key to um, creating your products and helping you be successful and meeting your deliveries. Um, so if they're not part of your FMEA process and part of that product analysis, they definitely need to be. Um, so whether it is a raw material or part they supply, that should be a, uh, one of the failures that is identified in your analysis. So definitely include your suppliers, and if 
they are coming up more often during your analysis or on the higher risk side, you need to start engaging and collaborating with them earlier and often in the process, maybe increase the audits or inspections at their facilities and um, check your vendor scorecards, check um, your um, incidents and nonconformance reports to see if they're tied in there because either you need to address it with them or replace them because your brand is too important to risk. Next question. We have hundreds of products in our portfolio. How do we get started? Oh, I hear this one all the time. I know. Um, I totally agree. And there's so many ways to, to begin this process. But I like to take the, um, the rule of revenue in this case because how much um, take your biggest money makers. Take the things that make you the most money um, or your highest risk items, and you pretty much know which ones they are. If you're in the food industry and you make peanut butter, you know it's high risk. <laughs> um, but identify those items first. What makes the most money or what's the biggest risk? And start putting them into the process. Start developing your workflows and start identifying those failures and those causes and those controls uh, because that is really going to be your, your I guess, uh, platform for growing beyond those initial products. But you have to start somewhere. So I like to protect the things that make me the most money first. <laughs> Next question, uh, it concerns ISO 31000. And this is asking for your comment on how the adoption of that for enterprise management is being used to help drive the use of tools such as FMEA for managing risks across functions and external throughout the supply chain. Yeah, I I know that they've had some changes with uh, 31,000 um, in regard to the ISO standards. Um, so I think. Uh, FMEA and any uh, of those specific risk management techniques, um, they're really important in, in helping you achieve compliance, helping you standardize your processes and identify risks earlier in the process. And, you know, I, I know there's, um, I could probably go on about 31,000 for 24 hours, but I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I think it's really, just a really good support system for a 31,000. And um, if you implement this, you're really taking yourself far along the way of compliance. How often do you redo or revisit an FMEA since conditions can change over time? Exactly, uh, great question. Um, you know, in some cases you, you do, you check your standard operating procedures or your documentation annually. But in the case of your products or your processes, things can change. In, the, in regard to a process, if you get new equipment, you have to reevaluate your, your FMEA. If, if you have a, a new supplier supplying your raw materials, you need to go back into your FMEA. So any of those changes can really affect your FMEA uh, reports your scoring. So it's really important to stay on top of it. So when you're aware of any change, if you're seeing CAPAs come in and, and quality and uh, the operations team should be connecting with the FMEA team to let them know that there's a change, those changes should be incorporated into your FMEA. Next question. Uh, have you had experience applying FMEA in government service industry in a government service industry environment? You know, I, I've actually talked to, um, there's a few of our customers right now we've been talking to about um, FMEA and their service industry. And there is um, a lot of potential. Um, I've, I've, you know, been involved with Six Sigma projects in the past. So I know the, the value of putting a service, whether it's government or, or any um, company's services, to the test, um, recording those workflows and identifying those high risk or failure rates 
Um, so yes, I mean there is definite potential to increase your service levels, your performance levels, just by doing FMEA um, within the process. All right, we will get to the next question, but again, a reminder, uh, if you want to submit a question to, to Kelly, feel free. It's on that bottom left-hand part of your screen, and you, you type your question in the, in the text box and click Submit Question. So with that, we, uh, we'll get to the next one. How does this prevent failures due to component interaction, where each component does not fail itself, but the system experiences a loss due to digital, electromechanical, or social interaction? Good question, <laughs> and a tricky one. Um, it, you're relying on, you now. there could be different rationales behind this. Um, so if you're preventing a failure due to uh, the, the component didn't fail, but there was a loss of electricity, I'm thinking, or um, there was a glitch in the system, um, you need to identify if there's um, certain um, weather-related incidents, training-related incidents with employees, um, whether there's failures within the system that have been trending. Um, so it, it's really identifying anything that's been occurring, um, even on a maintenance level, that could interfere with um, you know, equipment interaction or uh, component interaction, I think the question was. Um, so um, identifying that is part of your process FMEA evaluation. Um, and once those things start to occur, adding them to your FMEA, because now you, you realize there's a new problem in place and you need to identify it and uh, review the effects and how can you prevent that from occurring in the future. So that is really something really important because it seems like it's an outlier, but there could be trends behind that. So um, you, you need to account for that and add it to your FMEA so you don't lose that or you, you train employees so that they don't have failure rates at the equipment. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's a really good point to bring up. All right, looks like we've got one more question for you, Kelly. Um, can FMEA be tied into or used to replace HSA or HRA? I, I think there's a value in, in all, but I think FMEA really is that umbrella risk management um, technique that you need to really evaluate the entire product or process so that you're determining any of the, the risks and calculations can be made within a system or within a worksheet to to record that and and properly define it um, but it could also be in conjunction with those as well so it, it's really up to the company's requirements um, if they feel that they had to be to have FMEA and HSA or HRA, um, it can be in conjunction, but I feel that FMEA really is that, that overarching risk management tool that a lot of companies are looking for. Okay, and actually someone had submitted a question, so um, this, this should be the last one. Uh, how can FMEA directly affect worker safety and reduce injuries? Oh, um, you know, I, I, it's great because this is really a process question, um, and I use product in most of my examples because it's tangible and everybody understands product. Um, but when you're talking about process, um, worker safety, when you're on site and you have certain requirements um, and you're, you're, say, your PSNG employer, a utilities um, employee, there are certain requirements you have to um, adhere to in order to be safe on the job site. And um, identifying those risks in advance 
And um, you can even connect that to their um, uh, connected worker devices. Sometimes they have um, their, their mobile phones, and you can send notifications as reminders. They're on site. Don't forget to um, mark off the area. Um, if you're going underground, make sure you have your mask on. You know, like there's certain reminders that you want to make um, to the employees so they don't fall in those hazardous situations and it turns into a fatality. But um, the worker safety is all process FMEA. And it's really just mapping out any of those failures with any of the effects that could happen. And how do you detect those issues early in advance before you get on site? And then you end up um, in a hazardous situation. So um, preparation, but identification through an FMEA uh, process uh, technique. All right, well, thank you very much, Kelly. Uh, unfortunately, we've run out of time. Sorry that we didn't get to everyone's questions, but any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to our speaker. And once more, just want to remind you that if you've not done so, the, the availability of those uh, items and the resources widget there on the, on the screen. Um, once again, we hope that you take the time to fill out the evaluation survey on your screen as well to give us your feedback. And that ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. I'd like to thank Kelly Kaczynski, everyone at Cordy, and all of you who listened in. Thanks, and have a great day.